with um, a dead guy on a cross. But more than that, a risen, resurrected Savior. And as such, we are now able to, to live lives that model that King. And so today I want to walk through, with, with the resurrection in our mind, I want to walk through eight different claims that Jesus makes in the book of John. Now, uh, for those of you who may have grown up doing what are called sword drills, uh, I promise I won't make you stand up, but we will be doing a lot of flipping. Uh, we'll be in the book of John uh, exclusively uh, throughout these, these several statements. Um, and once uh, my good friend gets the, the thing working, because I can't get it to work for some reason... There we go. Um, We'll be looking at eight I am statements that Jesus makes. And some of them, as we explore them, we're going to see that Jesus seems to be saying something rather odd. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that we go out to eat after lunch. (laughs) I'm just struggling today. My mind is 100 miles an hour. Um, So I'll cycle down just a little bit. Let's all go out together for lunch. And as we're going... um, my friend Jake and I began to talk, and I began to make statements like, you know, I'd make a pretty good president of the United States. And Jake says, eh, maybe. And then I start saying things like, well, you know, actually, he's just a figurehead. I really am the president of the United States. I've got a lot of power. I've got a lot of clout. And Jake begins to scratch his head, thinking, I don't really think that's true. And so I continue my my conversation and fully and totally convinced that I am the president. And Jake begins to wonder if maybe I need to be uh, strapped up for my own good and for the good of those around me. And I continue to make these assertions. And as I make them, uh, he is convinced I'm bonkers. He politely pays the check, goes and makes a quick phone call. The next thing I know, I'm wrapped up walking away. And it is clear he's crazy. Now, um... What if I'm not crazy, though? And I begin to say that, but I have that look, you know, that look that says, I am totally messing with you right now. Uh, I'm, I'm pulling your leg so hard it might come out of socket, and if it were a Barbie doll, you'd have to put it back together. You'd be thinking, well, that's a fun story and all, but clearly you're lying. What would I need to do to demonstrate that I was really the president? Clearly the president isn't going to dress like this, uh, at least in public. Well, maybe you will, maybe you won't. What would I need to do? What would I need to produce in my life to demonstrate, to prove to you that I am indeed the president? I'd have to have something to, to back up my statements. And so as we, as we think on this, I want to draw your attention to eight things that Jesus said and that all of them in and of themselves make very little sense. Those that hear these statements look at Jesus and begin to scratch their heads. In fact, at one point, his mom and his brothers are going to show up outside one of the times that he's teaching, and they're going to say, "Uh, Jesus, I think it's time to come home because, um, well, I think it would just be safer for you. And and they start kind of... And he says, no, 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 who are my, who are my mom? Who are my, who are my brothers and sisters? And it's those who are wanting to do what God wants them to do. And so he kind of backs off away from that, but they're convinced he's nuts. The Pharisees are convinced that he's lying. They're so convinced that he's lying that they begin to, to plot his demise. 
And the disciples at some point will be convinced. And there will come a point in history, in history, that all of them will look at it and say, if these things have happened, then surely he is who he says he is. So I put before you today, not only that Jesus is a good man, a good prophet, a good teacher, a good healer, but he's more than that. And I'd like to show you that he thought so too. Let's go to John chapter 6, if you will, and we'll go to the first one. As we're going to John chapter 6, here's what's happening kind of in the story. John chapter 6, um, he has fed the 5,000 men and their families, the first part of John chapter 6. He walks on water in verse 16, and then he starts having an interesting conversation. If you'll look with me at John chapter 6, verse 22, John chapter 6, verse 22 gives us kind of the, the context where Jesus will say this first I am statement. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What, 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 must, he, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then he continues in verse 51, or verse 50, he says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. 
And then he'll go on just a few statements, just a few verses later and say, if you want to partake with me, you got to partake of me. I had a friend of mine in high school who was 6'4 and every bit of 300 plus pounds. He was a big, big boy. And he and I uh, spent a lot of time together. One night we were doing a Bible study and we were reading through uh, a passage of scripture and in the New American Standard, the, the text says, I buffet my body. Okay, now, B-U-F-F-E-T, my body. Now, my friend, who is a little uh, uninitiated in the reading of this particular text, begins to read, and I buffet my body. And this mental picture of this really big guy splayed out for everybody was just too much. And I start laughing. He's like, I thought we were trying to be serious here. I said, do you realize what you just said? No, it's buffet. What does that mean? Beat it into submission. What did I say? Buffet. <laughs> Doesn't mean the same thing. Anyway, I don't think that's the picture that Jesus is giving us here when he says, I am the bread of life. They're seeking signs. They're seeking miracles. They're seeking him to do these things so that they go, that demonstrates it. And he doesn't do anything. He won't be their circus monkey. He won't, you know, he won't do their sign that's required. In fact, he begins to argue with them and say, Moses didn't give you that. My father gave you that. And the Pharisees kind of go, hold up. Your, your father? Joseph? Right? That's, that's who we're talking about. What do you mean you came from heaven? We know your dad. He built a table for us. I'm still working on the last chair that he broke. I, I remember your dad. I know your mom came from heaven who do you think you are i'm the bread of life wait wait what are you saying are you saying that that you can meet my needs like god the father can can meet the needs of the people in the wilderness is that what you're saying yeah that's what he's saying and the pharisees already begin to kind of scratch their heads and you're gonna have to back that up because i'm not i'm not buying what you're saying in fact i'm i'm ready to, to get a football-sized rock and throw it at you. Because what you're claiming sounds like you're saying that you're God. Now, it's not clear here yet. It's close. But this is the first one. So let's turn over a chapter. Let's go to the next one. I am the light of the world. Now, John chapter 8 starts off with the woman caught in adultery. And I've always found that story kind of entertaining because there's only one person caught in adultery, and yet... Last I checked, it always took two people to, to have adultery, and yet only one person is caught. So just after that, in John chapter 8, in verse 12, he says a very interesting statement. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, who is your father? Jesus answered, 
You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. I'm the light of the world. While I'm in this world, he'll say in John chapter 9, verse 5, while I'm in this world, I am the light of this world. But we're going to see another conversation that happens here in John chapter 8 in just a moment. But he's, he's already saying, I provide light. I am the source. I am everything that could encompass light. That's me. It's not a lamp. It's light. He doesn't say, I'm the lamp of this world. He says, I'm the light of this world. Much like the sun is, is the light during the daytime. He's saying that everything that happens can be illuminated through an understanding of who I am. And again, the Pharisees look at this and go, there is only one person who can do that. And buddy, you're not him. In fact, they'll keep this going for a little while longer. Let's go down to the next one, to John chapter 8, starting in um, verse 48. And as you get to John, John 8, 48, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. What's he saying? What is he just, I am, just, what does he just say? Because they're ready now, it's, the text shows it, they're ready to throw rocks. Before Abraham was, they're looking at him. You're a 30-something-year-old punk. And you stand before us and you say that your father is, is God. We're not, we know you have a demon because of that part. But then, wait a minute, you're saying that you were there before Abraham was? You, you are preexistent to the start of Israel? Is that what you're saying? You've got to be crazy. You've got to be a lunatic. You've got to be lying. There's something that's not quite right here. You are claiming to be God, and we're ready to stone you. And somehow he gets out of it. Text is kind of ambiguous at this point. He gets out of it. He walks away. But make no mistake that when he said, before Abraham was, I am, they would have heard something very, very different. Before Abraham was, Yahweh. That's the claim that he's making. There are some who would say that Jesus doesn't know that he's God. I don't buy it. Not with statements like John 8. I just, I can't see it. There's too much going on where he makes these statements and he's pointing to things that go way beyond a human understanding of the way things are. 
I think he knows. I think he knows. I don't think he knows the fullness of what that means. And what I mean by that is when we see him growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man in, in Luke 2, what we're seeing is he's still growing. He's still figuring things out. He's still uh, wise well beyond his years, and he's still 100% human. But I think he knows. In fact, I'm convinced he knows because he wouldn't pick a fight like this if he weren't convinced that he was, knowing that he's taking his life into his own hand. So let's flip over to John chapter 10. Because like I said, there are eight of these I am statements. Now, I'll tell you this. After these other ones, John 10 becomes something a little bit more um, shrouded. In John chapter 10, uh, we read this a little bit earlier, uh, where he's kind of building on these things, but he's saying some very specific things about people who will be his disciples. So John chapter 10, starting in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's saying, in effect, I will provide, I will protect, I will take care of those whom God has given to me, those whom my Father has given to me. And the only way he can make that kind of statement that he will provide, that he will protect, is if he is able to do so. As a daddy, it's my job to take care of providing for my family. But ultimately, I don't provide for my family. Yes, I work. Yes, I earn a paycheck. But ultimately, Father God takes care of my family. My part is to, to partner with him in, in the earning of the paycheck and all those things. But ultimately, it's up to him to provide. And Jesus is saying, you won't need to worry about that. If you're mine, I'll care for you. I'll protect you. In fact, he'll go a step further. Let's go to the next one. In John chapter 10, he goes just a little bit further. And starting in verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And then he'll mention Gentiles, which nobody will catch initially. But as we look at this, not only am I the gate, not only in this thought that I will take care of you, but as a good shepherd, I will protect, I will provide, I will do all these things in such a way that you will know it's me, and by proxy so to speak you will know it's my father what a statement let's go to the next one john chapter 11 let me paint the scene for you lazarus has just died now just before that as all good sisters would do they know jesus they're well acquainted with jesus they send messengers ahead saying urgent lazarus is sick come now and jesus waits and another set of messengers come. Lazarus is sick and getting worse. Come now. Jesus waits. Lazarus dies. And Mary and Martha, as all good sisters would be, don't really know what to do. And then Jesus shows up. And some of the words that we see in this conversation, Martha looks at Jesus and said, if you had been here, he would still be alive. There's a fun statement. I think she's kind of figuring out who he is, and yet she's still talking to him like this. Uh, 
And he says, Martha, you'll see him again. Oh, I know that I'll see him again in resurrection someday. I know that that will be something that I will participate in and partake in, but that's not right now. See, I I find that interesting. When we start talking about resurrection, we think that's only a a Christ-forward idea. The truth is, this is a very Jewish idea. He didn't have to teach on it except when he was correcting it. The Sadducees who didn't believe in it and everybody else was, hey, I get it. There's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a point where resurrection will happen and it'll be good. He didn't have to correct that. But he did have to correct one thinking on it. And this is one of the teachings that Jesus brings in on the resurrection. He says in John chapter 11, verse 25, actually back up just a little bit, um, Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, he didn't say that part. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. She concludes by that statement that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is more than just somebody who can heal people, more than just somebody who can raise the dead. She makes the conclusion he's God. It's very interesting that when Jesus starts speaking to people who know him, the Holy Spirit allows them to make connections that maybe aren't directly said. I love this about John's capturing of these things because the very last part of it, verse 27, I believe not that you are the resurrection and the life. She doesn't even mention that. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. What a statement. Let's go ahead one more. Actually, two more. John chapter 15, 14. John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. As Jesus is speaking to Thomas, he is told, he's told him about a place that he is preparing. And Thomas is trying to figure out the map. He's trying to get out his compass. He's trying to look around, trying to figure out, how do I get to this place? What's the way? What's the path? How do I get there? And Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And then he goes on and starts talking about the Holy Spirit and begins promising these things, but he says something very incredible. I am the exclusive way. I am the exclusive truth. I am the exclusive life. There are many in our world today who will put God at the top of a mountain and say, whatever path you choose to get there is the right path. Jesus doesn't give us that option. He doesn't say just, hey, I'll be waiting at the top of the mountain just get here however you get here. 
He doesn't say, here I am waiting for you. Um, I have all of this kingdom of heaven stuff that I have to share with you. But if you come up through Buddha, you'll get it eventually. Or if you come up through Allah, you'll get there eventually. If you come up through good works only without faith in Christ, you'll get there eventually. He doesn't give us that option. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Wes, that sounds so narrow-minded. Okay. Okay. I think it's a very narrow statement. He himself says, broad is the way to destruction. Many are those who find it. Narrow-minded. You can put the connection in. Narrow is the way to righteousness. If that's really what it means, then he's going to be making some exclusive statements. Those who are on board are like, yeah! Those who are against him are like, really? You keep making statements like this that set you out apart from everybody else. It's no wonder they wanted to kill him. I mean, if I came to you and I said, um, there's only one way to do this right, and you're not doing it right. There's only one way to build this thing. There's only one way to fix this car. There's only one way to get this grade, and you're not doing it right. Well, who do you think you are? Well, I happen to be an authority on getting grades. Really? Well, You can get all huffy. He's still being very, very exclusive. Let's go to the last one. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruitful. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he'll go on and explain what happens to those who are in and those who are out. And as he's explaining this, he gives this picture that he is the one who can provide sustenance. He is the one who gives life. He is the one who empowers us to do anything. And apart from him, though we may be able to accomplish some small things, we're not going to do anything of eternal value. We're not going to do anything of eternal greatness. We're not going to do anything that lasts. And so the, the imagery, again, is we are grafted in in such a way that he is the one who is our source. Well, who can be that source except... God alone. John 18, it's not up there, but John 18 gives us this picture when Jesus is in the garden and Judas is coming after or coming with him and the guards come in and they say, he says, who are you looking for? And he says, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And they all fall over. It's like the Rockets Christmas special when they're all the toy soldiers just falling down. Okay, they just fall over. He says, I am he. There's got to be something about that. Let's go to the next slide. Is he really saying what I think he's saying? In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses encounters God at the burning bush, he asks this question, who do I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. I am. And so when Jesus is making these statements, he's making that statement. 
And the Jews who are hearing it, who, who are against Christ, are hearing him say that and saying, you just called yourself God. This is part of the reason he will go to the cross. Now, I asked you at the beginning of this, how would I back this up? How would I back up my statement that I was president? What would I need to do to prove it? He's made a lot of bold claims. He's made a lot of bold claims. The question is, what does it really matter? Let's go to the next one. Now, I know you probably can't see it from there. Um, C.S. Lewis made this statement that he is either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. Uh, there are a couple of explanations that go into that. Uh, one, I'm going to add to it a little bit, that he was a legend, that he was a liar, that he was a lunatic, or that he's Lord. If he didn't claim to be God, then all of this stuff is legend that was made up. Here's the problem. We have a lot of eyewitness testimony that gets within 30 years or 40 years that has him saying some pretty wild stuff. And people who were around who weren't on the team going, he didn't say that. Only they weren't saying that. They were actually going along with what he said. He did say those things. And so legend can be dismissed. Jesus did claim to be Lord, so now we have two options. Either his claim is true, or his claim is false. If his claim is false, and he knew it, then he was a liar. If he knew that what he was saying was false, he was a liar. It contradicts his moral teachings, though. All of the Sermon on the Mount, all of the things that it goes totally against it. And then on top of that, Jesus dies for a lie, and that lie continues for the next 2,000 years. This is inconsistent with his impact on history. No one else in history has had the same effect that Jesus has. So that takes us over to the next one. He claims it, but his claim is false, and that gets us to he didn't know it. It was a well-construed lunacy in his mind. He had it all figured out, kinda, but he was crazy as, a, as Jaybird, and he's out here saying, yes, I am God. And he's crazy. Well, if that's true, he was a lunatic, but there's no evidence of him being mentally disturbed. In fact, some of the things that he does confound the wise because he is so much wiser. And again, that's inconsistent with his impact on history. So he claims to be Lord. Let's say his claim is true. If his claim is true, then we have to see that maybe when he's saying he is God, that's really what he meant. And it's consistent with his teachings. It's consistent with his mental stability. And it's consistent with his impact on history. Two generations can recount what Hitler did. And it's still, even today, not a pleasant topic. There are some today who would deny that the Holocaust ever happened. Sadly, some of them are in religious circles. I don't know how you can do that. Just don't. But 2,000 years have passed. And still people are, are holding on to these claims. Still people are holding on to the fact that Jesus said who he says he was. Now, if I were going to back it up, how would I do that? When we see the, when we see the story of the, man, the paralyzed man who is lowered down on the mat by his four friends, Jesus stops teaching. And he looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees are in the room going, wait, what? Yes, 
your sins are forgiven. And then he goes, which, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? But so that you know that I have the power to do one, here's the proof on the other, get up and walk. And he does. Only God can forgive sin. And so they're scratching their heads. They're ready to do some, some damage. But that alone doesn't really back anything up. If I'm going to see that Jesus is God, he's going to have to do something way more than that. And he did. And as we think on Easter, as we're a few weeks out from Easter, and we reflect on, on that day, and as we take of the bread and the, and the juice in just a little while, as we remember what we are essentially saying is he proved he was God with a resurrection. I've been to Jerusalem. The tomb's empty. You don't have to go there to have that, that, that proof, though. The faith that, that now comes from this resurrection backs up his statements and leaves us with one final question. Who do you say that I am? In Matthew 16, the guys are asked, who are people, what are they saying? Who are people saying that I am? And some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. Some say you're John the Baptist and you've come back. And then he asks this very simple question. It's the same question that's addressed to all of us today. Who do you say that I am? Is he just a teacher? Is he just a healer? Is he just a good man? Or is he more? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right, but flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My father who is in heaven revealed that to you. And so today the question for us must be, who do we say that he is? Have we determined in our own hearts and in our own lives that Jesus is in fact God? Because if he is in fact God, then his resurrection brings us hope. If he is in fact God, then his resurrection brings us joy and peace and life eternal. That's based not on a place, not on a future event, but on his presence, his personhood in our lives. And so the final question is the question I give to you. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because he hasn't really given it to us to just say that he was a good moral teacher or that he was a good man or that he was a healer. He hasn't really left that up for debate. He made it very clear. And so if he is God, then we must bow accordingly and our lives must yield to his leadership. And so today I again ask the question, who do you say that he is? And if you agree with me and agree with the scripture that he is God, then our lives must match that. And it's not he that needs to change, but us. Let's pray together.